0: You can support this podcast on Patreon. Our Patreon supporters receive a wide range of benefits, including written content and access to our exclusive databases, including our 2020 FBS team profiles, which are updated daily based on injury news, position battles, playing time, and other info. Available in Tier 2 and up. Visit patreon.com slash Winning Edge to learn more.
1: Hello everyone, welcome back. It is CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports, and I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. You can follow him on the Twitter at CFP Winning Edge and Xavier Trish. Follow him on the Twitter at Xavier underscore Trish T R I C H E to follow him. And uh, look, man, it, it's moving. It's getting here. Uh, we're moving slowly but surely. But uh, Nick, we we're talking a little bit yesterday, and you said it. Feels like the season is creeping up on you a little bit, uh, because we got games in a week and a half here.
0: Yeah, well, actually, we've, we've got games. We've got a game this week, uh, believe it or not. The, the first, uh, the first Division One college football game of the season will be Saturday night, Austin P. in Central Arkansas. A couple of FCS programs, uh, but uh, you know, one I'll, I'll be watching as a you know, mentioned before that it's it's football, so that's right. <laughs> you know, that's that's uh, one big point in its favor for sure. But two, both of those teams play uh, a couple of FBS teams, so there'll be a, a little bit of uh, value, maybe a couple of things we can learn about uh, potential future matchups. Uh, watching those Central Arkansas has three or four. I, I they have, they they're playing almost an FBS schedule, it seems at this point. So yeah, it'll be it'll be uh, good to. Some college football for sure, and and uh, hopefully, it'll be uh, valuable as well. Who knows?
1: Yeah, and I mean, uh, is this game still uh, scheduled for August August 29th? I guess not because I'm looking at this, it it says uh, Marshall at East Carolina. That one's been pushed back, right?
0: Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. that one that one, or a couple others uh, that, that had previously been. Sever that date, but have either moved or, or been canceled. So that's the that's the only one right now, and they're they're making it kind of a big deal. It, it looked like it's going to be on ESPN. They've got uh, kind of you know a whole big crew for that's going to be in the booth and and whatnot. So uh, that'll that'll be exciting. And then the following Thursday, a couple of games. Uh, Central Arkansas will be playing UAB uh, that game as well. But um, uh, but then the the first FBS, FBS matchup, South Alabama and, and Southern Miss. So I've been uh, watching old replays of South Alabama, Southern Miss, UAB on YouTube and ESPN app, all that good stuff. So trying trying to get a little caught up. But, yeah, you're right. It, it did sneak up on me a little bit because I was uh, bogged down in a bunch of different projects. So now that most of the offseason work is done, now I'm like, oh. It's it's almost game week. Gotta get gotta bogged get down.
1: I I know what you're saying. Uh, I know what you're saying. I get it. So uh, Xavier, I mean, uh, you know, college football right up on us here. Uh, I mean, it's uh, you know a week away, pretty much. So uh, y- your feelings as of right now are, are we getting uh, excited, nervous? I mean, uh, the COVID stuff is strange, but uh, looks like we are at least gonna get the start of the season. Let's go!
2: Right, it's football. We're back. Come on! I have oh man, all the speculation, all the fear, all the doubt has come up uh, to this moment, which seems like we're gonna have college football. I'm still like eighty five percent there. I'm still like fifteen percent skeptical. <laughs> uh, depending on what Nick says in today's podcast, that might go to like twenty five percent. You know, I, I, I'm 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 mostly positive. I'm mostly positive on this. Side.
1: Nick's not the downer. Nick's not Nick's the realist. I think out of. Uh, I try to life, I try
0: know. to stay le- you know level headed, try not to right. get too high or too low. But uh, I'm I'm nervous a little bit because I'm getting more and more neuro- optimistic. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm getting see, excited. So yeah, that, we'll uh, we've all
1: had the rug pulled out from underneath <laughs> us before, so uh, we just don't want that to happen. You know, it's already going to be weird. Enough. So just let us have it. Right. Perfect. I mean, let's, let's just, let's just be excited. So uh, speaking of exciting, uh, Nick, you added, you, you know, of course uh, you had another huge project to do uh, that, that you have thrust upon yourself and it is statistical projections. And I don't know that you're, are you done with them now or are you working on them? Like, where are we in the process?
0: Well, so pretty much anything i'll put out there that's that's like this is always sort of a Being work okay. in progress yeah when we when we uh often talk about our FPS team profiles which is sort of the 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 biggest part of of everything uh that we do those are getting updated dozens of times a day basically right now when we're getting camp notes and things like that i'll be i'll make 50 or a hundred updates in a day. It just, you know, anytime there's injury news or so-and-so got more reps with the first team at right guard. If, if I, you know, happen to catch that, I'll I'll try to make those updates. Uh, But this one has definitely been a a behind the scenes sort of work in progress. Uh, And I had been on my to-do list for a long time. I uh, have a a little bit of a baseball background. and, And so I do, Uh, take some ideas from baseball work that I uh, enjoy and respect. And and, uh, one of those is uh, baseball prospectus has put out a a big preseason book for the last, I don't know how long now, 20 years or something. Uh, But they've got some, some really good projections and fan graphs has got great projections for individual players and, and things like that. And I thought I would love to be able to create something like that. And then of course, uh, you got me into CFF uh, a year or so ago and so I thought there for sure was some value there, some value uh, to any of our listeners or patrons who are into DFS or player props uh, put up by sportbook you know sports books and things like that. so I uh, thought that there certainly would be some value. thought it might also help me to get a little bit of a different uh, kind of a, a different angle in, in how, I look at things because I've been so consumed with uh, the FBS team profiles, which of course I, I think are, are pretty good. Uh, a player based uh, model where we give an individual rating to every player on the roster uh, based on their uh, talent and, and experience and production and, and also throw in some coaching numbers as well, based on historical performance. But uh, you know, a lot of the, Again, you know, some of the people who are doing great work that I uh, admire on the college football side do things differently, do things more, you know, based on play-by-play data and, and uh, you know, yardage and, and different uh, actual statistics. For the most part, our uh, team profiles and our, our player uh, ratings don't really take into account much as far as, you know, rate statistics or drive uh, or play-by-play data or, or things like that. So, thought that you know there there certainly is uh, some room for improvement. What could we do to to make our offerings uh you know even better? And wanted to to build these uh stat projections. And and the way I went about it was actually more so from the coaches' side. So I went and and compiled the last five years uh, of. Uh, rushing offense, passing offense, rush defense, pass defense for every FBS team, every FBS head coach, and every FBS play caller. And compiled all those.
1: I don't want to interrupt you, but um, what was most difficult about doing that? New head coaches or – I guess most of them have OC experience and stuff like that, but uh, what was the most difficult part of that specifically?
0: Uh, basically, so so I, I took it from uh, just the last five years wherever uh, a coach was. So one, okay, so there, okay. there are sort of three different levels to it because, you know, it's it's often difficult to know why a team, you know, what is a team trying to accomplish and who's really driving that? Because we, right. we talk about new uh, play callers, you know, offensive coordinators can have this this huge impact, but they can only have that impact if a head coach sort of says, all right, yeah, we're going to take things a different direction or we, you know, a head coach has to really buy in to that offensive coordinator. I've, I've, you know, we've, we've heard stories in the past of kind of power struggles behind the scenes. And then uh, with my background in in coaching, you know, understand that a head coach can uh, really focus on one side of the ball, and and even if there is a play caller on offense, it still might be the head coach's offense. But then a different team, the head coach might uh, totally, you know, give it over to the the coordinator. So I, I wanted to take the team history portion. I wanted to take the head coach uh, and, and their history, and then I also wanted to take the play caller. And I did the the last five years in all those scenarios. And for the coaches, it didn't matter what role they had if if a head coach you know one that was probably the trickiest to to finally answer your question uh was boston college jeff halfley is uh spent one year as the defensive coordinator at ohio state and then prior to that spent uh, uh, most of his uh tenure for the last seven eight years in the nfl so you know i i wanted to have boston college's history, which of course is a pretty run heavy uh, under Steve Adazio. So that five years uh, was factored in Jeff Hafley is a a defensive uh, minded head coach. You know, we had to incorporate numbers from Ohio state last year from uh, the San Francisco 49ers. And and I forget where it was before that, but, you know, wanted to incorporate that both offensively and defensively because he's the head coach. So he's, he's been in meeting rooms. He's had, you know, conversations, he's been influenced somehow, some way by that experience. And, and even if he's a defensive head coach, he's got uh, some things that he's picked up along the line. There is an impact, in my opinion, uh, offensively. So I wanted to incorporate that as well, whether it's was the NFL or Ohio State. And then his uh, play caller, his, his uh, offensive coordinator, he is a pro guy. And so uh, it was a, a little bit tricky because, one, he wasn't uh, – coaching last year. So kind of have to adjust things <laughs> with that, but then it's right. only pro experience. So uh, situations like that, maybe our, our, uh, stats might be, you know, might not be the best, uh, projections might not be the, the most predictive, uh, but in, in, you know, maybe, maybe they will be, maybe, maybe that blend sort of helps us get to the right answer or a little bit closer than we would have if we hadn't considered the entire picture, if that makes sense. But I I do feel really good about uh, a lot of the places where guys have been, of course, in one role or in one place for the majority of that period or or that entire period. And it gives a blend because we wait uh, where the most recent, uh, numbers matter most. So last year matters more than 2018, which matters more than 2017, all the way down. And, and you know every everything does have its its uh, particular weight, but the the most recent things matter a little bit more. So it it the the biggest thing. I just kind of wanted to compile all of that information, sort of as a starting point, and right. apply the same formula to all of it helps us predict or, or you know, at least project based on that past history. Uh, offensive output for passing and rushing as well as uh, you know the percentage, the, the, the run pass uh, play call percentage. I think that's helpful. Knowing how many uh, plays per game each team uh, ran over that uh, period and, and blending all that together might give us a, a good idea as to what sort of pace a, a team is going to Uh, run in 2020 and and then from there was able to sort of boil it down to the player level where this is really the only sort of opinion that went into it everything else is just based on historical performance but the the player part i did have to kind of go through and, and say okay you know how much how many snaps is the quarterback going to take is he going to take 98 is he going to take 50 is he going to take uh you know 60 and and so that's sort of where uh things get you know there's there's definitely more art mixed in with the science as far as the player projections go but uh you know those were sort of interesting to me as well because we did weight everything based on the current strength of schedule numbers, uh, updated schedules for everything across the country, and then also, uh, returning production as well. So tried to throw that in all of it together, tried to, to have a, uh, decent, you know, process as to why, uh, we put a certain weight on, on a particular thing, tried to make sure that we're counting the most important things, but also make sure we're counting, uh, as much of everything as we can. And and we'll see if it works. I mean, they're, they're, certainly not going to be perfect. My, I'm sure my math is not going to be perfect. I'm sure there are people out there that uh, might disagree with uh, incorporating, you know, head coach and play color and team history or, or whatever, uh, because every situation is different. But I wanted to give it a try. I wanted to offer it to our patrons, uh, and it is available for our Tier 2 uh, and Tier 3 patrons. And, you know, it, it's another tool. It, it allowed me to set up a new set of power ratings uh, that are Set up very similarly to some that folks out there I'm sure are familiar with, like SP Plus, where it is based on uh, uh, points, uh, excuse me, uh, scoring margin. So points per game and points allowed. And, and that helps you build, uh, you know, things that will help you project point spreads and, and win totals and things like that. So we'll be able to add all that to the mix and, and hopefully uh, just give us a little bit more information to um consider when we're making uh, projections and, and game predictions, which we'll be starting next week. So what was, the most, about
1: <laughs> what was the most surprising stat when you, when you, uh, you kind of looked back, I, I know a lot of it is just when you, when you're doing a project like that, it's just powering through sometimes you, initially you're not even looking at the number. You're just like, all right, mm. I got the number and, and you, <laughs> you paste it in. You like, I'll go back and look at it later. But now that you've had, you know, a day or two to, to pull back away from the process and actually look at the actual numbers. What do you think the, what was the most surprising number, I guess, that, that you saw out of your projections?
0: Well, so you're you're absolutely right. <laughs> there was plenty <laughs> of uh, just get through it and then right. like, oh, I'll look at it later. And then, you know, did I actually go back and really analyze it? I'm, I'm starting <laughs> to, because I'm starting right. to look at, you know, uh, UAB and South Alabama and Southern Miss and be moving to the rest of the team soon. And, and so I am digging in a little bit more. But one thing that jumped out, you know, you, you notice uh, sort of who's at the top. And in our offensive projections, because I did spend a lot of time uh, going through and, and trying to project, you know, position usage based on how much did they throw to the tight end last year? How many? Uh, you know what percentage of carries went to the quarterback? All of that. You know, I, I was spending a little bit more time on the offensive side of the football, and it, it maybe shouldn't have shocked me. One because uh, the schedule has changed a little bit; they they do play, uh, a, a, you know, only G five teams right now. But our our number one projected offense is Memphis, and and that for some reason was a little bit of a surprise. Uh, but but it probably shouldn't have been because they've been excellent on offense uh, the past several years. Uh, their their head coach, Ryan Silverfield, is being promoted, uh, which I, I usually don't love a first-time head coach, but he's been in the system. He's been a, a part of that success, uh, and they're very experienced. I mean, they've got one of the uh, Highest-rated quarterbacks according to our numbers coming back. Kenny Gamewell running back, was uh, excellent last year. The receiving core brings back, you know, at least its top guy, Demonte Coxey, and and mm-hmm. uh, some other important players as well. So I probably should have known, especially after the strength of schedule got uh, a tiny bit easier—not a, not a ton easier—but uh, other teams sort of had theirs maybe uh, increase a little bit. SEC teams, for instance, so. Um, it, it surprised me when I sat down and looked at it for the first time and thought, "Wow, I didn't really expect Memphis would be the projected highest scoring offense or, or the one that would uh, we could expect the the biggest uh, you know team performance expectations and things like that." So that that one jumped out uh, a bit, but uh, I do need to spend a little more time and actually go in and and understand exactly what it is I uh what it is I put together here and, and so I, I need to, I need to do that as well and then I'm looking forward to now that it's finally finished and I did take a day or two away to sort of clear my head but uh, now that it's it's you know coming up on on the season and, and uh, I think it's going to be useful in my research so I need to get in and, and start learning more about it and, and uh, see what uh, see what comes up. <laughs>
1: It's uh, it's definitely an interesting and man, it is. Uh, you just have so much here. This is so awesome to look. <laughs> at.
0: Always, it's it's kind of a sickness. I...
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I I think it's I think it's awesome. So it's uh, it's definitely great. You guys should definitely be looking at it, especially if you're already on there. So some uh, you know, some very interesting numbers. You got uh, Stevenson up here, Reggie Robertson up here, Tim Jones. I uh, got a big bump now that uh, uh, Adams is out of there. So uh, Xavier, have you been perusing over that at all? What uh, anything standing out to you as, as uh, we look at it for the first time here?
2: Uh, honestly, I, I, I and this might be just because I'm a homer, but I got stuck on Georgia one. <laughs> the team history was just fun to watch, uh, fun to look at as far as our points per game numbers uh, going up and down over the last couple of years or, or hitting an all time low last year. And it really highlights the offensive struggles that we went through as well as I couldn't help, but look at the fact, uh, that, and you have alluded to earlier, Scott on guys who kind of coast in the NFL with Steve Sarkeesian, uh, yeah. at Alabama, um, and him not having necessarily numbers at the point at that, at that time frame, but his ability to come right in off of the back of going, being in the NFL and leading an offense to 47 points a game in his first year in 2019, I think that's really impressive on his part. I think that just also shows how great a team like in Alabama is. You know, I, I stay pr- for the most part in the SEC. You, you, you go to the LSU and you see the fact that they went from 32 points a game to 48 points a game uh, last year just to, just to highlight how big of a jump that is from one season to the next, um, and that's ridiculous on their part, going from 24th in the country to first.
0: Well, and then, yeah. and on that point with LSU, they, they kind of – in some ways, completely threw the whole thing off. Yeah, I saw Miles <laughs>
1: Brennan very, very high ranked among those people. And
0: part of that is because uh, you know LSU from 2015 at least to, to 2018, and, and probably you know a little ways even prior to that, didn't go over 3,000 yards passing. And then last mm-hmm. year, over 6,000. They didn't reach 20 touchdown passes. Uh, in any of the other uh, years that we account for, and then had 61 last year. So, you know, a completely historical season. It it is important, I think, to know some of the – understand the context around it, look at LSU and think, okay, we're we're counting Joe Burrow's performance – basically three times here and, and, you know, we're, we're counting everybody else as well. But like I said, the most reason is weighted most. So maybe LSU is a little bit high. Maybe we shouldn't quite expect that, but also on the other hand, and I, I think it is important to, to know, you know, these are projections, but there's a range, certainly a possibility. Right. You know, we don't expect these to be a hundred percent accurate, lines. Yeah. but it might also say, you know what, actually, we count Joe Burrow because the same head coach is there, the right. uh, uh, offensive coordinator. we said a hundred times, of course, Joe Brady had a big impact. Uh, but, you know, even though he's gone, Steve, in- Steve Inzminger was the offensive coordinator in name uh, is the offensive coordinator will be the play caller we expect. So uh, that's, you know, that's certainly worth something. So uh, maybe we should expect Miles Brennan to, to, not reach those high highs that we saw last year, but maybe it won't be completely falling off a cliff either. So right. I don't know. It, it's a tool and, and we'll see uh, what we get right. We'll see what we get wrong and we'll see what we can improve upon in the future. But for now, I'm, I'm excited to see uh, how it helps us. And, and uh, you know, maybe, maybe it'll help uh, provide some value to uh, our subscribers and, and patrons out there as well. At least that's the hope.
1: I, I'm just uh, I'm just glad we're talking about on the field stuff, right, Xavier? I mean, we're talking about numbers that can actually happen,
0: oh, right? Uh, <laughs> like,
2: ah, no more speculation numbers. We're, we're, we're talking about pure. This is what this kid could do this year, and this is why. And I love yeah. I, I love these conversations. Uh, ah, we have football back, guys. I'm just. So, I'm so excited. So excited. So
1: here, uh, let me uh, let me tie a you know a cinder block around that idea and throw it in the lake real quick. So here, the news and notes we have to talk about these uh, COVID
0: updates because we'll get it out of the way.
1: Yeah, we do have we do have these updates, so we'll we'll throw this in as quick as we can, then move on to all football things. Um, yeah, Louisiana Monroe has paused their activities right now. Uh, Vandy and FAU paused and then resumed. Notre Dame had several players in quarantine. Recently, 20-plus active cases at Texas Tech. We don't know if that's football, though. That's just at Texas Tech. Uh, Oklahoma had a position group with one guy not testing positive, and the rest of the group, um, uh, you know, being positive. And uh, that was uh, following 17 cases they had. The LSU offensive line has apparently been hit hard. All but four players in the unit testing positive and quarantining. Uh, Alabama reported more new cases on Tuesday uh, than all of Canada. Uh, Florida State starting wide receiver DJ Matthews has yet to practice as he recovers. Um, and there's probably some uh, that we missed in there. And the NC State and Virginia Tech uh, have now, yesterday was on the fence, but today uh, it's official. They have officially moved that game back from, I believe it was December 12th to 13th to the 26th. Uh, So week one to week four uh, now or week two to week four. I think that game has uh, been moved back. That's the way the ACC, that's the reason the ACC designed their schedule and it worked. So uh, there was some foresight in this stuff, but uh, you know uh, surprisingly the NFL hasn't had any cases. And it's funny you have people just, and I know it's Twitter and Reddit and a lot of those places, but Um, people just flat, they think, uh, the NFL is China, right? They're just like, yeah, no, there's no way you did 22,000 tests and only had six positive cases and none of them were players. So, uh, some people just flat out don't believe it because it is running through, um, these college campuses, uh, not rampantly, but running through some of them. But, uh, you know, we just listed off what, maybe six, seven, eight places that have it. We might have missed a couple, but most schools aren't being hit hard with this right now. I think that is the main thing to pull away. And as long as the schools that are hit with it are doing the right thing when it's found out about, I think we're going to be okay for the most part this season. There's definitely going to be a game or two that moves. Uh, One already has moved, but, you know, we just roll with the punches. Right, Nick?
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think I think that schools pretty much at this point have, have decided, you know, hey, we're pushing forward and I I have conflicting feelings about it. And, and I certainly don't want to dismiss, uh, you know, situations because this. We don't necessarily know how it impacts everyone. It impacts everybody differently, it seems. Some guys, like you mentioned, you know, one player specifically, DJ Matthews, has been out uh, dealing with the effects of this. We've heard of of some other players losing 20, 30, 40 pounds, and and some guys, you know, don't even know they've got it and and just sort of get through it and and move on. So it's a really, really weird thing, of course, and it it is very serious, and and I'm conflicted because – I do want to take it seriously, but also, of course, I want, you know, college football. And, and so if we can get through and, and you know, do it safely enough, I'll, I'll certainly be excited to have it. But when you've got a situation like at Oklahoma where uh, either either guys tested positive or they were exposed, so they're doing, you know, contact tracing and, and uh, things like that, putting guys in, in quarantine as a precaution, sounds like a similar situation at, at LSU, you know, that's worrisome. Because we've we mentioned it before that if this hits one unit, you know, if it hits a quarterback room, <laughs> you know, yeah. you're you're kind of screwed for for uh, the next little bit. So uh, it's it's you know, at best, it, at worst, you know, you end up with guys getting getting really sick and and impacted, and you know. A lifetime worth of uh, effects. So it, it's something that, unfortunately, I, I think we're just sort of going to have to deal with. We'll we'll uh, bring it up when we have to. We'll we'll uh, treat it as seriously as we can, but we'll also, uh, I think, try not to harp on it too much. And and uh, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're we're we built this show to uh, you know diagnose football on the field of course there <laughs> there are very uh important real world things going on
1: that none of us stayed at a about. holiday in
0: expression <laughs> right right and and you know we we talk about real world things when we need to and then we have something to to say but uh you know now that the season is starting we're, we're probably going to focus more uh on the on the field stuff and and uh you know it hopefully we'll get this under control and and won't have to talk about it very much but right now it's it's part of both the world and and uh our lives talking about college football because it's it is impacting teams and, and schools and uh communities and, and things like that so uh we will talk about it some and we might talk about it you know, from here on out for, for a while. But, uh, once we, as shaking his head, but, but, uh, you know, after, after getting through this now, we'll spend the rest, you know, the next hour or so, uh, talking about on field. stuff.
1: Yeah. Uh, Xavier, uh, quickly, obviously your thoughts on, uh, the, the COVID situation, uh, that is going on at a couple different campuses right now.
2: Yeah. So it's obviously something we're going to have to monitor for the rest of the season. Um, like Nick said, it's something that I don't want to have to harp on, but obviously with us talking about college football, if it's something that plagues the entire sport, obviously we have to spend time on it. Um, as far as it plaguing like entire sides of the ball, that's obviously a scary proposition. You know, if a quarterback room does, you know, end up getting it, I guess we're playing punters at quarterback, you know, I don't know. Like it's going to be a really difficult situation for that. Um, Lincoln Riley alluded to a side of the football had. A problem with it, but he wouldn't say which side of the football. I think he said a
0: position group.
2: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But, uh, but, he a, but
0: really, a, of some size, so like yeah, O line, secondary, who knows? Yeah. Anyway,
2: but he, I, I think that's what we're gonna get from most coaches the rest of the year. Is we've got some guys. So who is it? <laughs> got some guys. Yeah. Well,
1: they don't have to tell you, so they won't. I mean, no, that's absolutely just not. But, what they do every time, so. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, we got to talk about it when it happens, but like Nick said, we're going to be, uh, moving mainly towards football. So, uh, let's talk about, uh, another rough story, but it is on the football field. At least it's that TC, uh, TCU sophomore max, uh, quarterback, max Dugan is unlikely to play this year because of a heart condition. Uh, they dropped to 125th. In the CFP winning edge quarterback rankings, uh, the next closest P5 team, of
2: course,
1: it is <laughs> is Vandy at one twelve. Nick, so not looking great uh, for TCU without their signal caller this year.
0: Yeah, and and it's interesting. We uh, sort of a, a, a internet friend of, of mine who's who's a TCU fan and and uh, college football analytics. Uh, Person is is uh, uh, will put out some power rankings today of of the Big 12, and, and he's getting pretty pretty pessimistic about TCU. Had him. You know, seventh or eighth, uh, and they're not—they're not quite that far, even after adjusting for uh, Max Duggan and, and uh, putting in Matthew Downing, who it sounds like is getting uh, the majority of the first-team snaps right now. And and Downing transferred to TCU from Georgia, but he was, I believe, a walk-on. He was an unrated uh, player coming out of, of high school, according to two-four-seven Sports. So uh, our numbers, you know, don't don't love that, and and he comes in with a you know, a, a generic 75 rating. And then you adjust that down because he's a sophomore and, and he's under a 70 in our player rating. So if you, you know, are, are uh, into, you know, Madden or NCAA football, a guy who's under a 70, not really who you want to, to rely on as a starting quarterback. They do have some other guys in the mix. They brought in a, a Juco transfer, Stefan Brown. Uh, there's a, a pretty talented true freshman, Eli Williams, but, you know, they had really big expectations for, Max Duggan getting you know double digit starts last year. Uh, that that amount of experience was huge. He had, had shown to be a capable runner and and you know had some uh, some some work to do as a passer, but certainly uh, had a high ceiling in in my opinion and, and has some playmakers to to work with. Travellance Hunt, Tate Barber. They brought in J D. Spielman. Uh, they brought in Jack Farrar who who has been all over the place. I think TCU is like his fifth uh, college at at this point, but somebody who uh, rates decently high based on his, his recruiting rating coming out of high school. And, and so uh, they brought in, you know, Zach Evans, the the five-star running back. So maybe Mm -hmm. he gets a lot more uh, carries than we might've expected, or or they've got some uh, other guys in the mix there as well, retro freshmen and and whatnot to, uh, to turn to. So, you know, it, it certainly is it gives you pause when you're looking at TCU and, and hoping they're able to bounce back from a five and seven uh, record. But uh, TCU's you know built on defense for the most part, and, and built on uh, keeping the game close and, and finding a way to win sort of at the end. So I'm not ready to write them off completely just yet. And, and even though, like you mentioned, they they dropped so far in our quarterback rankings. Uh, they're still the 33rd best team in the country, according to our numbers, and that includes uh, the Big Tw- uh, the Big Ten, the Pac-12. You know, we're, we're not changing those rankings. We're keeping those all 130. So TCU is going to be a dangerous team. They're fifth in our uh, Big 12 power rankings right now, but they're not very far uh, behind. You know, the the top of that second tier uh, with the Iowa State's with um, you know, they're still better than Kansas State, according to our numbers. They're right in the mix, uh, one spot ahead of Baylor. So they're, right. they're still going to be a dangerous team. And, and TCU, you know, Gary Patterson's had a long history, is is well-respected, and, and is going to uh, – he and his coaching staff are, are capable, I think, of finding a way to stay competitive even when, you know, plans change. So they're not going to have Max Duggan, but – they're going to have a plan and they're going to be able to uh, to, to keep this a competitive team. Uh, they might not challenge, you know, for, for the top of the big 12 anymore. Maybe that highest ceiling is no longer available to them, but they, they still have an opportunity to, to ruin plenty of people Saturdays. They could knock off Oklahoma. They could yeah, knock don't
1: off. Don't I Texas
0: know it. Week. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they could ruin somebody's season for sure. Uh, but probably, you know, getting back in the mix, getting back to the Big 12 title game after a couple of years uh, might not, might not be in the cards anymore.
1: Yeah. And, uh, I mean, TCU is just, they, they are constantly Jekyll and Hyde, you know. So, uh, just look, at, look back at what happened with them last year. You know, they, uh, beat Purdue. They beat down Purdue. They barely lost to SMU. They stomped Kansas, to, uh, Kansas. Uh, they, they, um, uh, lose to can to iowa state pretty bad but they're in some of these games they barely lose to kansas state they beat my longhorns who were ranked 15 at the time uh, they barely lost oklahoma state they went to triple overtime against baylor uh you know they uh beat texas tech they were uh they lost by four points only uh at oklahoma so uh you know and then they lose to west virginia at the end of the year which is just like what the hell's that you know right. so Uh, TCU is just always, they're that pure, uh, any given Saturday team. Right. Right. Xavier.
2: Yeah. But unfortunately it's going to be tough to do those kind of things without a quarterback. You know, I, I think that although our numbers still have them at fifth, I don't know if I would have them that high anymore. Um, you're losing a lot of production. Yes. Matthew Downing, um, is coming in as a, as a transfer, but he got limited, very limited snaps at Georgia. Um, You know, and I think when you're relying on what will probably be a rotating room um, at TCU this year at the quarterback position, it's never a good thing. Um When you look around what they have as far as offensively is concerned, yes, Zach Evans is a five-star running back. Yes, he's going to be the guy that they probably lean on a lot for production, but he's only a freshman. And, and, I, and you have to expect him that he's going to start slow. Uh He's not going to be able to start the ground running immediately. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, you know, 12 1,300-yard season on, uh, you know. Coming up, but I really doubt that, seriously, which leans on the receiving core for me. And I don't know if that receiving core can get right with the quarterbacks in due time. You know, it, we've talked about it all offseason. Continuity is going to be a major issue this year. And right now, you're starting from scratch between the continuity between some of these receivers and the quarterbacks against high high-quality competition. Maybe in practice against the twos and the threes is a different story when you're playing against Oklahoma, when you're playing against Texas, when you're playing against some of the better teams in the conference, that continuity is not there with any of those receivers and any of those quarterbacks for the most part. And that's just something that I am very worried about. They're going to lean on their defense a lot like they did last year. That's what they did to help them beat Texas last year. I believe they picked up Sam Ellinger a couple of times, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, so the defense is going to have to play its butt off week in and week out to just keep them in ball games. Uh, and, and that was my biggest thing with TCU coming into this year was I thought the offense would be able to take the next step and the defense wouldn't have to do so much. Uh, but same old story as last year for TCU fans. are going to watch yeah. the defense give up like 20 points and the offense score like seven.
1: Yeah, that that's the unfortunate thing. is It seemed like Max Dugan was that guy that, to turn them around mm-hmm. and he was looking real good and it just sucks. And he said he's had this condition uh, since he was a baby. So uh, he's had surgery for it. He didn't say what it was. And obviously that's prerogative his progress. He doesn't have to tell us what it is, but uh, it is something that um, he's had for a long time and he knew about, but unfortunately failed his physical and they're not going to play when that stuff happens. So uh, another huge blow. It's never as big when you lose a non quarterback, but this is pretty, pretty damn close. Nick Uh, Marshawn Lloyd uh, goes down with a torn ACL for the Gamecocks and uh, they got a uh, transfer in there, a Quandre White, but Marshawn Lloyd was expected to be the starting running back for this team, and really, uh, you know, kind of be the focal point of the offense here.
0: Yeah, I mean Zach Evans, who we just talked about it, at TCU, uh, probably has about as big of, of expectations of a true freshman running back of anybody in the country, but Marshawn Lloyd you know, was right there, if not a little bit higher, because there were just rave reviews uh, during the offseason and, and uh, in the, the very limited spring practice. And, and uh, you know, coaches and, and players were talking him up as far as uh, just really excited about how he was working and, and the things that he was doing uh, in the weight room on the practice field and all of that. So uh, to, to lose a player like that, even though it's just a true freshman, uh, certainly is a big blow. It's it's a real hit to depth at the position, which already was a, a slight concern because, you know, they were expected to rely heavily on a true freshman there. So uh, it is good that Zikondre White is uh, coming in. It, it's certainly uh, I, I, I you know, now looks like an incredibly smart decision to go after both a Juco transfer and a a top flight uh, high school recruit because, you know, now White's going to step up and and be an even bigger part of this offense. And Deshaun uh, Fenwick, another big – uh, running back 230 pounds, he and Kevin Harris are both, uh, you know, 225, 230. They, they've got some size there, but, uh, you know, they certainly are, are losing a little bit of athleticism, maybe explosiveness and, and just sort of uh, real upside uh, without Marshawn Lloyd. So unfortunately we're going to have to wait a year, it sounds like, to get to see him on, on a, uh, the field in Columbia. Big loss. Uh, but, you know, at least they do have – uh, sort of a, a backup plan, and and we'll see uh, now maybe a, a, you know a more leaning on the the passing game for for South Carolina. So uh, interesting to see sort of how this changes things a little bit. But big loss for the game. Yeah,
1: this one uh, this one hurts, Avia, right?
2: Yeah, especially with Nick it With we have to lean on the passing game. Uh, this is not a passing game that was very potent last year. This is not an offense that was very potent last year. They haven't figured out the quarterback position. And we know South Carolina, we know Will Muschamp, he likes to run the football. He likes to run the ball. He likes to hold the ball. He likes time of possession. And uh, the least amount of running backs you have, that's not going to be possible. Uh, And this is just, this just sucks for him. Also, do we have a Marshawn uh, curse at South Carolina at this point? I mean, this is the second one to go down with a season-ending injury. We know about what happened with Marshawn Lattimore. This is just not looking good for anybody going with the name Marshawn, thinking about going to South Carolina. Just a caveat. And I just don't – offensively, there were already concerns. Obviously, they haven't had a quarterback decided yet. The offense came off of a very pedestrian 2019. And you were looking around, like, who's going to be the person to make this offense go from pedestrian to average to above average? And it was – you know, you were really looking at the running back position to be the, the bell cow to do that. And now with you losing your best running back and really looking for another guy to step up, that's going to be, once again, it's going to be a rotating room at the running back position, and they're just going to have to find a guy. Um, maybe they don't find a guy at all. Maybe they just have to use all three in different scenarios where they're best. Uh, but that sucks for him, obviously, at the ACL tear. But that offense at South Carolina has got to worry everybody who's a, who's a Gamecock fan at this point.
1: Uh, And Baylor, uh, they they actually, on the reverse, they picked up a late transfer. Uh, Jake Burton, who was a multi-year starter, right tackle at UCLA, uh, committed to the Bears as a grad transfer uh, shortly after entering the the portal. And it's late in the offseason, and Baylor is scheduled to open its season September 12th against Louisiana Tech. But Burton probably going to fit in here and start immediately, right, Nick?
0: Uh, You know, they certainly had a need. They were relying on a... a Guy at right tackle who has a very very limited football background, uh, JUCO guy that basically, as I understand it, didn't play high school football. So uh, had to, to rely on him pretty heavily last year, and and they certainly lacked depth. That was a, a you know if there was a concern with Baylor, it was the offensive line. So if you're bringing in a guy that's uh, now the most experienced lineman you know in the unit. 23 starts at UCLA's played 29 games. So uh, it. it You know, if he's able to come in and and pick up uh, the, uh, you know, the the scheme quickly, uh, you expect that he'll certainly be talented enough to uh, contend for a starting job right away. So I I think, you know, maybe he doesn't start week one, but uh, a little bit of time leading up to it. And then Baylor does have a week off before they start uh, Big 12 play. And then Kansas is that conference opener. West Virginia after that so you know pretty pretty if you could hand pick a start uh to sort of get somebody used to a new system quickly uh that that's probably you know what you would hope for so I would expect that when when uh, Baylor is is ready to turn to uh try to upset some of those big 12 heavyweights in the middle of that schedule uh that Burton will be up to full speed and and uh starting and and you know baylor had a lot of holes to fill and they they plucked you know three transfers that are going to probably start most of the season if not all season uh so good work by the the coaching staff going after uh trying to fill those holes as quickly as as they could and and this is a big piece of that
1: yeah and uh i mean Xavier uh, you, you want to plug in a guy like this against a uh, a team like Louisiana Tech who Baylor should be mm-hmm. uh, I mean I don't know what the spread is Nick it's got to be fairly big I would g- assume it's double digits uh, against Louisiana Tech Louisiana Tech uh, not, not know, as they, much. They'll, they'll hang tough though yeah, they, no hang, they hang tough for uh, for a half against Texas last year so um, yeah. they, they're a good squad but uh, you know Baylor should should beat them um, so, but this, is we've got we it in to two get. touchdowns, two There's, touchdowns. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, so, but this is where you want to get this guy in. as
2: absolutely, point. absolutely. Uh, you better, you better be able to block Charlie Brewer's career is on the line at this point. There was a lot of people after the sugar bowl last year saying that he should probably stop playing football with the amount of concussions that he had last year. Uh, two major ones. Um, so obviously the offensive line was, has to be a point of, uh, contention for the entire team. They have to be looking at the offensive line. Like, you guys have to be better. We have to keep Brewer upright. Because um, if you can, we've seen what he can do, with, like what they did against Oklahoma for three and a half quarters. So I, I think that, you know, it's a good, it's a great pickup for them. I think it's a great pickup for him as well. Obviously, leaving the Pac-12, they weren't playing football this year, moving to the Big 12 to get uh, reps in, going into the draft. And like I said, they're able to keep Charlie Brewer upright. This is a Baylor team offensively that can score points, obviously. And uh, we'll need to with all of the turnover that's happening on their defensive side of the ball.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, big addition for Baylor there and uh, should help them down the stretch. This was a weird one. And I actually texted you about this, Nick, because it was like literally five minutes after we had been, you know, just finished uh, recording the ITL college fantasy football show that a bunch of guys walked out of Middle Tennessee. And I say walk out, I mean, they're opting out. Uh, But it was just weird to see that. Both transfers at running back, uh, Amir Rasul and Martel Petway, uh, both uh, opted out. Tyrese Johnson and a trio of walk-ons all opted out, and they're not going to play for Middle Tennessee uh, in 2020, but they all plan on coming back in 2021. My initial thought was, um, you know, my initial thought was, man, there must be something going on wrong at Middle Tennessee, but if all of these guys are, you know, planning on coming back, obviously this is just a decision maybe they're buddies and they made it all together or something, but uh, you know, they lost a lot. They, um, you know, they lost a lot in running back. And I know that you, you had to put a little more on Asher O'Hara <laughs> because, you know, they lost two huge options here at RB.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, I am glad we're talking about this. Cause I, I realized that I still had, Rasul and, and Petaway in our stat projection. So I had to go in right. and, and quickly, as you were talking, make those adjustments because I, I expected those guys to, you know, take a lot of carries away from Asher O'Hara, who was a, a very, very talented runner, very productive last year. But for, you know, the, the, for his health and for the health probably of, of middle Tennessee <laughs> as a whole, you don't really want to rely on your quarterback running as much as he did. And, and so it was, I thought, you know, a big boost to middle Tennessee to, to be able to you know hand the hand the ball off a little bit more to two pretty talented guys I mean P five transfers both of them so I, I did have to go in and make an adjustment Chetone Mobley who uh, was a starter in in the past is probably now going to get in my estimation over thirty percent of those uh, carries and and then Asher O'Hara you know last year he was up to. Uh, I forget the uh, the official percentage, but it was like forty something percent, maybe. Uh, mm. Let me let me check my FBS team profiles real quick. I'll, I'll try to try to stall while I, I look that actual number <laughs> up. But uh, you know, but but it had to to really load up more on on his projection because uh, you know Mobley was banged up last year, uh, but O'Hara had one hundred and ninety nine of. Middle Tennessee's 404 rushing attempts. Wow. So uh, so almost 50%. And, and even if you take sacks away, because he right. did get sacked 22 times, he ran the ball f- over 45% of the time. So I, I didn't quite go there. I, I think I, I just added uh, 38. That seems you
1: don't want your reasonable. Even,
0: you certainly don't yeah, want it.
1: Even if you have a running quarterback, you don't want him taking – 45% of the rush attempts, you want them, you know, if they're real good, maybe taking 30%, you know, uh, something like that. And that's still a lot. So, that's yeah. I was
2: like, that's yeah. still
1: a heck of a lot. <laughs> Xavier, <laughs> your, your thoughts on all these guys leaving from middle Tennessee?
2: Yeah. I mean, obviously any decision right now to, to not play football, to protect yourself is a good decision. Uh, but I wonder if they talked to the quarterback before making this decision because it looks like they're hanging them out to dry because uh, – Nobody likes taking that many carries when you're not built for that many carries and to take 40% of the carries, you can almost, he's probably going to take just as much this year, if not more, which is scary to think about. Um, But yeah, I mean, this is a huge loss for middle Tennessee. I think Asher O'Hara probably is dreaming of linebackers right now. Uh, So Scott, you can answer that question.
1: Yeah. 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 yeah, uh, yeah, we, we got sidetracked because Nick just dropped a note in here and uh, he said, right now O'Hara is projected to score 32.7 points per game in CFF. Uh, and that's with the conservative rushing percentage, which, which my first thought generally is towards CFF anyway. But uh, <laughs> I wasn't going to brag that I've taken Asher O'Hara in uh, almost every draft that I've done. But I, I kind of thought that he was... He is kind of, uh, you know, a he's a, a version of Sam Ellinger. He, like Xavier, kind of alluded to. He's not built like a linebacker or lineman like Ellinger is, but he gets the rush attempts like he is. So um, he he is going to be the entire offense. When you flip on a Middle Tennessee game, you are going to see a lot of Asher O'Hara, and um, you know he he's definitely he's going to be a headliner. So. He's going to be a, a headliner this year. He's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, and then um, Ellinger, 37.1, of course, way ahead, which is why I've got him as my number one player. Okay, okay. So, uh, okay. you know, not uh, – I know a lot of people still have Gainwell. A lot of people like Rattler. Um, you know, a lot of on, – on Chuba, but not, not for me. It's Sam. So, um, but uh, we had – uh, some other news here as well. Virginia Tech added uh, defensive back Devin Taylor as a grad transfer from Illinois State. Yeah, He was a potential FCS All-American and should help fill the hole left by Caleb Fairley's opt-out. Uh, Tame Martin announced his intention to transfer from Washington State to Oklahoma State as a grad, so he will be eligible immediately. Cal defensive end uh, Luke Paquette, who played in 42 games and made 38 starts over five years, uh, with the golden bears is transferring to Boston college. These are probably guys that just want to get some more film uh, before the NFL draft and things like that. So they just want to play right now. And then uh, LSU head coach Ed Orton mentioned the possibility the tigers would like to add a grad, uh grad transfer defensive back for the season to help a position with depth concerns. Uh, but he is happy with all three running backs and called uh, John Emery electric. So, uh, any of these last little bits before we get to some uh, quarterback uh, um, oh, uh, news here going on, Nick?
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the David uh, the Devon Taylor move is potentially flying on the radar a little bit, and, and losing Caleb Fairley, who's a uh, an All American potential first round draft pick, of course, is huge. But he was had a
1: uh, uh Fairly went 18 in the draft networks most recent.
0: Mm, one, so. mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean he's, he was a really, really good player. Yeah. They're a huge loss, but you know Taylor's somebody who had gotten some FCS All American type buzz, and and when basically uh, the the overwhelming majority of FCS programs. Uh, postpone their seasons, he, of course, is is a lot of, uh, we've seen this before, a lot of uh, guys that have a a pretty high ceiling, and and like you said, maybe want to raise their profile a little bit, Uh, take a look at a a bigger opportunity. So uh, one, you know, uh, with with, uh, fairly opting out, there's an opening, and and so if Taylor is able to come in and and prove to be a big part of that secondary, and what otherwise is a, a very, very uh, experienced and pretty good unit, uh, mm-hmm. that's a, a big plus for Virginia Tech. I'm not sure how big of an impact Tay Martin's going to have immediately. We've talked about it a little bit before, uh, where it, it can be difficult this late in the process. And, and that should you know that that should be said for Taylor as well. It's not going to be just easy for him to uh, step on the field immediately. He's, he's going to have a qu- very quick learning curve. But uh, well,
1: it's they, easier for a defensive back because you don't have to depend on someone else. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, uh, you know Tay has to develop that uh, rhythm with Spencer Sanders and and mm-hmm. you know really get it going. Defensive back, it's if you're playing man, you all you need to know is who you're covering. So, you know, uh, obviously with zone and, and, you know, just different types of, uh, plays and stuff, you got to know, um, you got to build your rapport with your teammates there, but it's just easier. It's kind of like playing running back. That's why it's always the easiest one to go from uh, college to the NFL because they just, you know, they hand you the ball and you find the hole and you run, you know, obviously, uh, you got to find your blocking schemes and find your fit and everything. But, uh, you know, wide receiver, probably a little more difficult, especially with, the depth that they have at Oklahoma state. So I'm with you on that for sure.
0: Yeah. They, they, they've built some depth. They, he's not the, the first transfer uh, that they've added to the mix. So, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. I, I think my personal expectation for his overall production dropped a little bit, but you know, something's better, better than nothing when you're a, a senior looking to uh, potentially catch the eyes of some uh, NFL scouts. So, you know, it, it'll be, Interesting to see how that plays out for sure. Baquette at, at Cal had earned a sixth year and I guess didn't want to wait around for a seventh. So I uh, decided <laughs> to, to take an opportunity at Boston College, who uh, is uh, an interesting situation. A lot of, a lot of transfers, it, it seems, are going to get an opportunity to, to play right away there. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to see how this all shakes out. And, and fortunately, you know, we're trying to keep up with all of it, try to uh, plug every every move in like this and, and see how it impacts our projection. So that was a pretty big uh, boost to Boston College's, you know, defensive line rating. He was uh, – he's over a 90-rated player and, and comes in and, and we expect – you know, I would think defensive end, defensive line for the most part, he's probably going to be able to, to pick that up relatively easily and, and at least – be part of the rotation immediately, if not a a full time starter, but just based on his uh, history and the rating that he's put up uh, with his experience and and production, he's by far the the highest rated uh, player on on the defensive line for Boston College and the second highest rated player on the defense as a whole. So I would expect that he gets to play a lot uh, this year.
1: Yeah, going going to be a lot of fun to watch. Any uh any opinions on these news uh on these moves here, excuse me. Xavier, uh Devin Taylor uh going to Tech, Tay Martin to Washington State and Luke Baquet to Boston College.
2: I I absolutely love the Devin Taylor move and more so just because he also fits the profile of the rest of the Virginia Tech secondary. He's a tall, lanky corner. He had five picks last year at Illinois State. I think this is a perfect move for him. The worst thing that could happen to him this year is that quarterbacks think he sucks because he came from an FCS school. They pick on him, and he puts up ridiculous numbers. I, I think this is a win-win for him in, in all aspects. I, I love the, the pickup from uh, Virginia Tech as well because, like I said, I think he fits the profile well being 6'1", uh, 200 pounds. As far as Tate Martin going to Oklahoma State, continuity, man. I, I use that word way too much in this podcast, but I'm going to use it again. Continuity. I don't, yes, he's 6'3, you know, almost 200 pounds, and the Big 12 is a pass happy league, but I'm sorry. When, when he gets hit in the face mask with one because he doesn't turn around fast enough because he runs the route too long, uh, r- rather than looking back at the quarterback on time, you're going to see the issues that this has on a player like Tay Martin. I think it's a good move for him. Obviously, with Oklahoma State being a very pass uh, heavy team, it's going to give him an opportunity to make plays, uh, especially with. Uh, they just get, Oh, Tyler Wallace being back, and he's going to be the guy who's going to be able to be on the opposite side to take the safety over the top.
0: And Dylan Stoner's there still too. Mm-hmm. And they brought in uh, a transfer from LSU, Lee Anderson. They, they've got a lot of people in the mix. But Xavier, question question for you, Scott and I were talking about this a little bit on the CFF show, uh, CFF show last night. But uh, I I sort of speculate, okay, as a receiver and you know fairly intricate offense, and and for the most part. I, I think uh, Oklahoma State likes to uh, move guys around be able to play multiple spots how, how much easier is it for a receiver if Tay Martin goes in and, and Mike Gundy and, and uh, Casey Dunham believes that the new play caller there if they say okay you're here we don't have much time to work with you you're going to play this role whatever they call X or Z or, or mm-hmm. what have you and you, and you learn that Don't worry about, you know, we're not going to move you around. You're going to be on the numbers. This is your, this is what you do every day. How, how quick, you know, would something like that, I guess, how, how much would that accelerate his uh, learning curve?
2: Yeah. If they they keep him to to X or Y, which are typically the outside receivers, uh, either one of those and just say, Hey, we're going to, you're going to be the big target on the outside. That should really accelerate his ability to, uh, to learn the offense. Um, Typically, those guys don't have a heavy route tree. Uh, they have five or six routes out of what, maybe 12 or 13 uh, total, which he'll have to learn pretty quickly. Um, and the number one thing that he's going to have to learn the difference of is how they like their routes run. Uh, that's the most important thing. Uh, schools don't all run routes the same way. They're All posts aren't run the same way. Um, all comebacks aren't run the same way. So that's going to be his biggest learning curve, is learning where he should stick his foot into the ground, whether it's 15 yards, 14 yards, 13 to 12, you know, things like that. Those are the little intricacies he's going to have to learn pretty quickly. But if they can keep him to one position and one position only, which I think they can with him being, you know, so tall, they're not going to have him move to around too many times. Uh, I think it's going to be really, it'll be two yeah, two two and a half weeks before he finally starts to pick up the nuances and then maybe three weeks uh, to a month for him to kind of get it down pat completely.
1: Yeah, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting to watch Tay Martin, like you said, you know, uh, the the best thing he can do early is catch touchdowns because that big frame, mm-hmm. six foot three. So hopefully he gets going on that front, and uh, you know is good from there. We had a lot of uh, quarterback stuff going on here, a lot of so competitions, upset. and uh, this first one um, kind of hurts us in CFF. John Reese Plumley and Matt Corral are splitting reps at Ole Miss. Uh, also, starting center Eli Johnson, who opted out last week, entered the transfer portal there, so that's going to get interesting. Uh, Ryan Helensky and Colin Hill are rotating with the first team at South Carolina. Obviously, Colin Hill having experience with this offense at Colorado State. Uh, Gunnar Watson was named the starting quarterback at Troy. Gavin Hardson is going to start for UTEP after TJ Goodwin uh, opted out. Uh, There's going to be an ongoing battle at North Texas, and we'll probably see both these guys uh, play in the first game of the season for North Texas. Jason Bean and Austin on as to who is going to replace Mason Fine. Now a little surprising that Vot is uh splitting up their uh you know first team reps between all three uh quarterbacks Hendon Hooker, uh Oregon Transfer Braxton uh Burmeister and Quincy Patterson. So lots of competition at the quarterback spot, Nick.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's starting to look like a, a kind of a two quarterback system at Ole Miss, and, and certainly that could change. They do have a lot more time to figure it out than uh, most of the other teams on this list. But you've got two very different guys, and, and they are two of your best eleven guys. So I think you want to get them both on the field in some way. And Plumlee, we've seen is is really exciting as a runner he certainly has a lot of room for growth as a passer corral is is a uh, much better passer at this point but you know i, I think unfortunately you can't uh combine them in the one quarterback and, and they might have a heisman contender. but uh i think you want to get both of them involved some way so i, I sort of project this to be a uh, if not a 50-50, like a 60-40 type split. I think we'll probably see both of them. I, I feel like that's probably less likely at South Carolina because there's not a, a wide or you know, a major difference between the two guys. One is uh certainly you know older, more experienced in the offense itself, with offensive coordinator Mike Bobo being his head coach at Colorado State. Uh he'll coming over and, and knowing the offense. But I I do think Kalinski has a, a higher ceiling. I think. Think he's going to win this job, but you know, I, I certainly could be uh, proved wrong uh, on that. And, and then, you know, as we're getting closer to the actual games, like I mentioned before, you know, Troy and UTEP are, are playing uh, next week, North Texas as well. But you know, to get two out of three, saying all right, uh, competition is over. Uh, these are the guys we're, we're going with is is uh, pretty good news. It, you know, I, I think in most cases, uh, Ole Miss possibly an exception but in most cases you kind of want uh to have one guy and and get it figured out and go but then you know virginia tech (laughs) decides to go the other way and say well we had two guys or three guys last year and now we've got a a new guy get him in the mix too so i don't really know how that one's going to shake out i thought hooker had a pretty big uh -hmm. edge on this being a returning starter but uh burmeister was on the team last year as a transfer from oregon was not eligible had to sit out because of that transfer and, and, you know, obviously has closed the gap enough and and improved enough in practice on the scout team that he's going to be a factor. So it it does seem that Virginia tech probably is going to uh, play at least a couple of quarterbacks before one of them sort of seizes the job. eventually.
1: Yeah. Xavier, your thoughts on all these QB competitions here.
2: What are they they doing at Ole Miss? (laughs) Like, I'm I'm sorry. I know it's a new coach, so he's giving everybody a try. But did you watch yeah. last season? Did, did you tune in to any of the games between <laughs> Matt Corral and John? Like, here's my biggest issue with it because they're so different. You're you're tipping your hat when either one is in the game for the most part. John Reese Plumley is going to be a guy who runs mostly most of the time. So if you bring him in a game, we're thinking run. Now you might pass it, and you might surprise one or two teams. But after that, it's on tape, and there's no surprise factor anymore. So that's why I hate the, the idea that you're playing two different style quarterbacks because you're essentially tipping your cap every single time. Um, as far Good as point. what's going on in South Carolina, I like – no, it wasn't. Um, <laughs> as far as South Carolina is concerned, like I said, like I said last week's episode, I think it's Helensky's job to lose. I think Colin Hill obviously has a leg up with knowing the offense for Mike Bobo, but Helensky, in my opinion, is the better quarterback. And I think as long as he can show that last year's injury hasn't set him back too far, it's his job to lose at this point. I'll skip down to Virginia Tech because that's my last rant. Uh, once again, what are we doing here, guys? Hendon Hooker—he
1: should
2: a solid, be the guy. He was a solid quarterback last year. What are we opening I so. it up for? What I—I I, I don't like. I love Quincy Patterson. Watched him in the Elite Eleven. Great kid. Great story. You know,
1: honestly, priority. we might we might be reading into that a little more because it's just reported that they're, they're splitting up reps. But mm-hmm. on, that could be because of COVID. You That's know, right. Right. Uh, you know, uh, there's more of a possibility. I know Bruce Arians talked about it a while ago, uh, and we've seen it with position groups, obviously at Oklahoma, that some teams want to keep their backup quarterback away from their starter. You know, just physically away now it doesn't make a lot of sense if all of them are working with the same center and all that <laughs> stuff you're gonna get it but it could just be a hey look in case we got to quarantine one of these guys at least uh, all all these guys have worked right. with with the, the first team so may, maybe that's maybe that's it and, you know and maybe then also
0: there's limited media availability so they're like yeah right. we got three guys they're all great we can't choose between them So, right, exactly, Uh, exactly. So,
1: (laughs) you never know because you know, we don't, it's called football, we don't have to have injury reports and stuff like that. You know, but, but we've heard from the coach that, you know, uh, it's an open competition in South Carolina. We've heard at, uh, you know, uh, some of these other spots that it is an open competition. Obviously, it is at Ole Miss. So, we didn't hear that about Virginia Tech. We just know that all three quarterbacks are getting reps with ones. So it could just be as simple as, right. hey, You're it's right. COVID. So maybe, maybe, maybe Hendon Hooker's the guy, and it's not really a discussion, but they want to make sure everybody has some chemistry. So who knows? We could be reading into it a little bit before we uh, dive in here on our pre- uh, predictions for the season. Uh, we had a couple of uh, guys change back. Vandy linebacker Dimitri Moore uh, returned the team after he opted out last week, which is a nice thing about college football. Is you know you can opt out and come back in. Uh, It happened in Major League Baseball. Nick Markakis, Nick Mark, poor Nick Markakis. He opted out. uh, Then he came back in about five games in and then he got COVID uh, and then he had to leave on the COVID IL and now he just returned today. So uh, weird situation for him. You know, he got it not from his own teammates, which he was afraid of. Trey McBride and Emmanuel Jones, who have Colorado State's best players, removed their names from the transfer portal and they came back. Obviously, there was some initial uh, pretty ugly reports coming out of Colorado State and Steve Adazio. I haven't heard a follow up on those, so I'm just going to assume that that um, has kind of been worked out or figured out. And uh, I think if it was something bigger with them trying to, uh, you know, hide all the COVID stuff and all that you probably would have had a much bigger player revolt than just a couple guys entering the transfer portal. So okay. hopefully that has been uh, put to bed. Now, Washington state defensive back Skylar Thomas, who uh, also t- we also talked about last week has returned to the Cougars after spending a couple days in the transfer portal. Some of these guys probably just want to play in the fall instead mm-hmm. of in the spring. So they're trying to go in the transfer portal, see if anyone's going to take them decide they're either going to have to play behind someone and may not get enough field time because it's too late in the process and they're flipping back to their original school, which is what I'm assuming happened there. And um, Florida no longer has players out. Um, were they holding out Nick? I wasn't sure if they were holding out or if they, they were. Uh, we didn't get a, yeah, we
0: didn't get an official thing. It sounded like there were a, a few guys, a few wide receivers and a defensive lineman uh, who were maybe testing or, or deciding that they might opt out that That's, you know, speculation. They the first practice. Knows. Yeah, set out the first practice, and and some cryptic tweets that we talked about last week. But uh, it seems from reporting now, everybody is back and expected to to play and is practicing now. So,
1: boy, I hate the way we talk about uh, cryptic tweets. But, um, <laughs> we job? don't, we don't anymore for the rest of the show. So we're going to talk about um, you know, like a preseason preview, projections, predictions, that kind of stuff going on here. And, uh, Nick, the AP, uh, dropped their top 25 preseason poll on Monday and it had teams that aren't playing in it. Now, look, I'm, I'm a patient man. Uh, I, 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 tell people I'm a patient man. Well, look, I used to be really not a patient man. And then my doctor was like, you need blood, blood pressure pills. And I was like, all right, I'm going to be more patient now. So. Um, you know, sometimes it just works out that way. You got to calm your ass down, you know? So when you get a little bit older, maybe put on a couple LBs, you'll, you'll learn about that. Xavier got to calm down a little bit, but I think it's asinine to put out a poll with teams that, you know, that are not going to play in the the back half uh, in this part of the season, have them on it. And we had, um, a bunch of teams. Ohio state was two, Penn state was seven. Oregon was nine. Wisconsin was 12. Michigan was 16, USC was 17, Minnesota was 19, and Utah uh, was 22, and Iowa was 24, and they all are not playing. So, um, and 23 players selected to the preseason All-America squad are not going to play uh, this season. So, I get frustrated by things like that, but uh, fortunately for me, uh, I can have regain my patience because Nick fixed it. Nick just went in and said, "You know what? I'm just going to take out those teams that aren't going to play." and I'll put in the teams that are going to play and make the top 25 from the AP myself. So, uh, the top five here, Clemson, Bama, Georgia, OU, LSU, uh, just starting there, Nick, do you have any, um, I have any, uh, qualms with the top five.
0: Uh, Oklahoma seems a little bit high. Uh, they're ninth in our in our list, uh, and of course, you know, you take out Ohio State, you take out Penn State, uh, both of which are, we have ranked a little bit higher. But uh, I, I think you know we've got Oklahoma ninth, like I said, and they are favored in every regular season game, but not by a ton. Uh, so that you know, four maybe they end up there, like they have the last few years. They're certainly are scenarios where we could see that happening. But I think this Oklahoma team, at least on paper at this point, is not quite as strong as even last year's team. And, and that was maybe a little bit weaker than the previous team. So uh, it, it seems to be moving a little bit in the wrong direction there from a roster strength standpoint at, at Oklahoma. And, of course, you know they are a well-oiled machine offensively. I'm, I'm sure that they are going to – uh, close that gap relatively quickly but uh, and that that out of the that group jumped out to me a bit and and there's an argument to be made maybe that that georgia might be a tiny bit high but they are fourth in our rankings and and if we took ohio state out they'd be third so uh i I, you know if i complain about this i'd have to complain about ours and i kind (laughs) of like
1: ours so Uh, xavier your uh initial thoughts on that top five there
0: stop drinking the kool-aid
2: in louisiana let it go they had a great season last year, but Joe Burrow is nowhere to be found. They lost five, four or five first-round picks on the defensive side of the football. LSU is not Bama. They don't reload like that. Like, let's, let's calm down. Let's simmer down. They should be in the top 10. They should not be in the top five. We're drinking way too much Kool-Aid down there. It probably has alcohol in it because it is New Orleans and it is Louisiana, but let it go. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: I I'm, I I get it. I, I get what you're saying. Is you know, look, they don't have Joe Burrow. They don't have uh, Clyde edwards alaire You know, the the biggest feat they don't have Patrick Queen. They don't have a lot of leaders on that team anymore. Uh, Chasing, you know, all, all these guys are gone to the NFL. So I understand replacing talent. LSU usually replaces talent pretty well, though. So uh, I don't I don't know that I I don't despise them being in the top five. I think you kind of have to. Maybe give it to them until you see someone knock them off, but in in this weird season, that could be fairly early because I know they have a rough schedule. I think especially early, if I'm not mistaken. So don't they play Bama really early? So uh, um,
0: let's see. They've they've changed it. Check our handy FBS team profiles. They play Alabama no in November, but they November. they uh, Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, Missouri, but they play Florida every year. Of course, the West Florida. is tough. They get Auburn, uh,
2: LSG back to back. Right, yeah. right.
0: A and M, both in in the last uh you know Month. two of the last four weeks. So it's it's there are no you know like every SEC team there there are really uh, other than maybe Vanderbilt. Not yeah, even I was like, off weeks. <laughs> <laughs> not even really off weeks. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, uh, I don't even you know the, these um these preseason polls are nice. They they give us something to talk about, but I think isn't the first uh you know. Uh bowl, whatever it's called now, FPS poll, bowl poll, whatever it is. Uh that that week doesn't come seven. out until November. Yeah, it's like week like seven, no
0: seven or week eight push. Yeah. And and yeah. the the final rankings aren't until like the middle of December now. So um,
1: right, right, yeah. exactly. So uh, you know, those are the ones that matter. These ones are always interesting. And they, you know, you put a number next to your team, uh the, uh from week to week based on the AP poll and stuff like that. I know Xavier's Rolling his eyes, but that—that that is, you know, it's—it's it's what we have. But I love this question that you put on here, Nick. It's, uh, you know, that Clem, uh, Oklahoma at minus one twenty-five, Alabama at minus one twenty-five, and Clemson at minus four fifty-five uh, are all by far the uh, conference favorites according to DraftKings. And I—I I love that you put this on here because you said, "Are these the three teams that should be favorites to win each conference?" And let's make a case for them not uh, winning that conference. So I, I love this. So let's start with you, Nick. Uh, do you think this is right, all three of these teams, Oklahoma, Bama, Clemson?
0: And um,
1: who would, if not for those teams, who do you think would win each of those conferences?
0: So I'll try to be sort of as quick and to the point as as I can. I know I I do like to Time it. ramble. Uh, Time it,
1: Xavier. I, Click.
0: Oklahoma. The first name you mentioned, Oklahoma. Uh, Yes, I think they should be the favorite. They're number nine in our power rankings. The next closest team is 16. However, if I'm going to make a case, it's going to be Texas because Texas actually has the talent edge over Oklahoma. So Texas has a talent edge in all 10 games. Oklahoma has it in nine. So I think those teams, of course, are, are close enough. And then Texas has the more experienced quarterback. And, and uh, you know, I, I could certainly see Texas uh, winning that. But I think at, at this point starting, I, I have no problem with Oklahoma uh, being the favorite. Alabama, yes, I believe that they're, they should be the favorite. They are our number one overall team. Uh, so we have them as it stands right now. They would be our favorite to, uh, maybe if we simulated out the whole season, the, the win percentages might not add up to be our, our actual national championship favorite, but they would be favored over every other team in the country on a, on a neutral field, according to uh, our number. So I do agree with that. If I were to make a case for somebody else, I, I probably could make a case for five or six different, SEC teams uh, because there's there's really very little, there's either very little room for error or there's going to be a lot of errors <laughs> this year, if that makes sense. So Alabama's you know playing Georgia, they're playing uh, everybody in the West, of course. So the, the odds that they get through undefeated are pretty low. We actually only have them expected to win eight and a half games out of 10. So we do expect at least one loss so it's going to be tricky to to make it all the way through with two losses but everybody else is playing a really difficult schedule so so it could happen but you know LSU we have them ranked fifth Auburn we saw them beat them last year AM, we think is going to be pretty good top 12 in, in our uh, projections Georgia and Florida both top 10 teams either could knock off Alabama in the SEC championship game so I think there are you know, cases to be made that uh, there's enough enough strength at the top of the SEC that somebody's going to knock off Alabama at some point. And if it's in the SEC championship game, then, you know, there you go. So uh, I I think it's just trying to narrow down who it would be that does knock them off. Clemson, of course, uh, yeah, they're they're an overwhelming favorite. But minus 455, now that Notre Dame is in the mix – I, I might strongly consider uh, throwing a couple of dollars on on Notre Dame because they're a top-10 team according to our numbers. We have Notre Dame favored to win nine of ten regular season games. Uh, they have talent edges in eight. So they, they don't have a talent edge against Clemson. They don't have a talent edge against Florida State, but they do have a senior quarterback. Uh, they do have one of the best offensive lines in the country. They've got some holes you know, that they had to plug from a lost production standpoint on defense and, and at the playmakers on offense as well, but uh, they were decent last year. And, and I think it would be able to uh, sort of rebuild relatively quickly. So I could see a scenario where Notre Dame gets through the regular season as the second best team in the ACC, maybe even loses to Clemson in the regular season, and then has a, an opportunity for a rematch. It's really difficult to beat a team twice in one year. So uh, I I think at minus 455, you kind of have to take a look at Notre Dame or maybe even Miami, who we have as, a, uh, you know, talent edges in nine games. Florida State has talent edges in 11 games. So, yeah, maybe sprinkle a couple of dollars around the ACC because, you know, it's a weird year. Weird things can happen. Clemson is an overwhelming favorite, but minus 455 seems uh, a bit too much for me. And I think there might be some value on some others out there.
1: I would not be betting on what <sighs> we got there.
0: Hey, that's 4, five minutes, minutes, to four, minutes? Talk four about, minutes. To
1: talk
2: about three conferences
1: minutes, not bad four. at all. Yeah. Right all there. Right. So, so Zobier, uh,
2: let me, yeah, let me let me blow you out the water real quick, Nick. Uh, <laughs> and go. All right, so okay. first first and foremost when we talk about Oklahoma, no, it's not it's not Oklahoma at all. It's got to be Texas. Texas in my opinion is the better team They're the more senior Laden team. Spencer get Rattler, um, I think Spencer Rattler is going to be rattled all year. I, mean, um, I just don't really like the idea that a freshman quarterback in a weird season is going to try to lead Oklahoma to the playoff, uh, to the uh, CFB playoff, This is not going to be a good situation. And, um, Alabama, no, Mac Jones is not trustworthy at all whatsoever. I actually think if they keep Mac Jones at quarterback, this might be the worst season Alabama's had in a while. I genuinely oh. feel that way. I, I do. I, Mac Jones literally threw a pick off okay, of somebody's hind part.
1: Bad. They'll go to Bryce Young. Yeah, to, midway through know. the
2: year when they'll have to see Auburn and LSU. Yeah, yeah. What a what a start. What a, what a debut. Um, you know, I I think they have way. That's too
1: much- at Xavier underscore Tristair I C H E on 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 Twitter. Bama fans. All, that all is not
2: me. me. It's send you a gif of him throwing a pick six off of somebody's hind parts. So I, I don't want to hear from Mac Jones. I don't trust him. Bama fans shouldn't either. I got Georgia, I got actually anybody else other than them in the SEC. I really do like I like I I really like AM. Okay, not anybody, not Bandy. Uh but I do really like A and M. I think they're a team that is a sleeper. I say put all a that cool
1: points. stuff you just said about Texas is, is now being ruined. <clears throat> put, a, put, put a couple team.
2: dollars on a And I, I really think that their schedule was favorable for them. when in the last couple seasons it has not been. Kellen Mond is a good quarterback. Hey, hey you're, you're copying me with the, with the expo market. You know, great minds think alike. All right, and last but not least, Clemson. Put Nick's right. Put some money on Notre Dame. Lose your five dollars. It's gonna be Clemson. It's Clemson's conference to lose. They have ETM back. Yes, they're missing Justin Ross for the year, but they have the best quarterback in college football still playing. I don't see who's going to beat Clemson, but themselves. Uh, so yeah, I got Clemson. I think all of them are Nick, right, all of them are wrong except for Clemson.
1: Nick, while I'm talking here, real quick, can you look up to see what Clemson's odds to win the ACC are on that DraftKings uh, sports book? Because I'd be real interested to see that. I mean, I'm I'm with what both Clemson's these guys. On? Oh, what game. Y- yeah. Excuse me. Yes. What Notre Dame? My bad. Uh, because I, I'm I'm with you guys. Uh, I think in the Big Twelve is if it's not it's Oklahoma or Texas, right? So that game is going to be very, very. It's going to be even more of a tipping point this year. Even though I do feel like because I've seen it before, just like losing the no, TCU, that Texas is more likely to drop a random game out of nowhere. So even if they beat Oklahoma, I don't think they're guaranteed to win the big 12, same thing with Oklahoma. I think if they lose to Texas, I don't think they're, they're guaranteed to uh, lose the big 12. It just makes their, their chances of making the playoffs a little bit slimmer. Okay. Uh, so I think Texas and Oklahoma are fairly 50, 50. I'd give them probably close to the same odds uh, in the sec, the sec, the odds are low for Alabama because the schedule's so hard and it's hard for everyone in the sec, but I could see, you know, Bama, Auburn, LSU. Uh, you know, A and M, Georgia. Obviously, you, you know. Uh, sorry, sorry, I almost, <laughs> almost forgot. You both waved at me for that one by oh, no. I was telling uh, you I Oh, the odds you got right. the other. Okay, and, and and Clemson and Notre Dame. Uh, that game is going to decide the ACC. You know, uh, I don't see. Do you, do you think so? Uh, I do. I don't see uh, Clemson losing another game. I mean, they, they, they played some close ones. They played UNC real close last year. Uh, they played Syracuse real close the last two years before that. Mm-hmm. So there is one where they kind of trip up and don't play at their their uh, full level. But I think Notre Dame beats most other schools that they play. So I think that game is going to decide the, the ACC. Um, so w- what what are the odds on uh, for Notre Dame to win the ACC?
0: So Notre Dame is plus six hundred. Uh, second, second best. North Carolina plus eight hundred. Miami plus a thousand. Virginia Tech plus eighteen hundred, and then Florida State plus twenty eight hundred. Florida I'm State's our third best yeah. team. Yeah, I might sprinkle a couple of bucks on yeah. uh, Florida State there. Just you know, we've seen some quick one year turnarounds. It's very difficult, but yeah. uh, it wasn't that long ago that Auburn. Uh, you know, the first year under Gus Malzahn went from uh, uh, missing a bowl game to playing in the BCS National Championship. I'm not sure that we're going to see that at, at Florida State, but it's not impossible. So, oh. uh, you know, and, and like I said, talent edges, those, those again, just another tool that we uh, have to, to refer to. It's, it's not that it's going to be perfect, but Florida State has the more talented team. Uh, in almost every regular season game. So that is worth something, you know, and when you've got better players than, than the opponent, uh, you don't have to, to out-coach them or, or out-scheme them uh, quite as much. So, uh, you know, that, that I think is worth something there. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think there is some value. Yeah, absolutely. Clemson is the overwhelming favorite for good reasons. But uh, perhaps they're a little, you know, the, the, the odds, I think, should be a little bit uh, uh, tighter. They're not, yeah, they're not they're, yeah. They're not this much of the, the favorite, especially because things are so weird. So, I, you know, if, if I you're think into that sort of thing.
1: I think, I think they're the most likely to win their yes. conference. And uh, because of the limited, you know, amount of teams and stuff here, they're going to get bet. More and harder, and DraftKings knows that, oh, so absolutely. they make the odds a little worse to make that payoff not as big, so people don't want to take them. But on the other hand, I don't know why Notre Dame is at uh, plus, 655. What, what, six, six, hey, so, plus six fifty-five. What was plus whatever? They're twenty bucks on them, and you win one hundred and twenty if uh, if they win the the ACC. I'm I'm all about that bet, so uh, I, I I like that bet too. So. Uh, that that's one that I would take, but I think Clemson is most likely to win. It, look at the end of the day. I think if we ha- were betting our life on it, we would bet all three of those teams to win. So, uh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, who would you not bet your life on Bama, Oklahoma, Oklahoma.
2: I don't really? trust Mr. Rattler. I really okay. don't. And I love Texas this year. I really do.
1: All right. I, well, Hey, look, uh, you, you're in the same boat as me. I love that. I love that. Take. <laughs> So, but, uh, I would probably bet my life on those three teams to win.
0: I like Texas. I don't know. Yeah.
1: I mean, I love Texas, but I also love Texas when they're real bad. So that's just just the way it goes. But, uh, the rest of this top 25, and I love that you did this, Nick, because, uh, you know, this, uh, we've got five G five teams in this top Mm -hmm. 25 Mm -hmm. of the teams that are going to play Cincy, UCF, Memphis, uh, Louisiana and app state all in there. So who is um, Nick, who's the least deserving of those G five teams that made the top 25 here?
0: uh well, and again, so this is the, this is the adjusted for the, the teams that aren't uh, going to be in there. So I don't think app state was actually uh, ranked, but you know, th- there's some not. really good, there's some really good G five teams. And, and I think you could certainly make a case for all of them, I think that uh, if if there's one that's a little bit overrated, it's it's in my opinion Cincinnati, just because our numbers love UCF uh, yeah. this year. They they will probably come up in a later conversation here uh, as far as my thoughts on UCF this year, because they're as far as our numbers go, the best G five team we've seen in the three years that we've been doing this. So uh, they are a a really, really solid team. Cincinnati was a miss for us last year. We had them in the fifties in the preseason and they were absolutely a top 25 type team. So uh, we have them at 35th overall, uh, which again feels a little bit low, but uh, they should not be ahead of UCF in, in my opinion. I mean, they're 20, 20 spots between the two and Memphis is, you know, 11 spots higher in our power rankings than Cincinnati. So I think, I think that one is a little off. I think Cincinnati would be very good. They, they certainly could beat anybody. They might beat UCF. They beat them last year. So it it certainly could happen, but I I think that uh, UCF should be favored and and feel pretty comfortable in in our, uh, how our numbers treat it right now, Mm -hmm. that, that UCF is clearly the best, G5 team
1: out there. And uh, Xavier, you, your takes on any of these G5 teams in the top 25 here?
2: Yeah, I completely agree with Nick on this one. Um, I don't know why since is so high, I think this is a team that once again is going to have to rely heavily on their defense to win ball games, uh, like they did last year, and I don't think that bodes well in a conference that puts up points like the AAC does. Uh, UCF, and, and the craziest part about UCF, it doesn't matter who's that quarterback. I genuinely think that they're the best G5 team that we have out here. Um, I think that they will run the table. Um, I think that last year they learned a lot about themselves. I think they obviously slipping up in a couple of games last year. I think that they were punched in the mouth last year and they'll be, and they'll bounce back this year uh, better than they've ever been. Uh, this might be their best chance at actually putting up a national championship banner. So I think that they're going to come all guns blazing this year. I really like UCF. Uh, App State is a weird one for me. I didn't think App State would be ranked in the top 25. I'm going to be honest. Uh, yes, they beat South Carolina and North Carolina last year, but both of those teams had a losing record at the end of the year. Uh, so those two twins aren't as big as they seem to be. Um, so I, I, I like, as much as I like the App State, as much as I am a Sunbelt kid. So, you know, kudos to them. I don't know how I feel about them being in the top 25.
1: The fun belt, the fun belt. Uh, for me, I, I think I like Cincinnati better than you guys. Uh, you know, I, I think I'd have them probably a little bit closer to UCF, but Uh, I I don't know why they're number one either. So I'm with you on that. So the rest, I mean, you know, we'll see, I'm not going to be sold on anybody else. I think it's Cincy and UCF
0: and everybody else, you know, app state is always
1: good, but I don't think I'd bet on them. Go ahead. I'm sorry.
0: But I said like I like I mentioned briefly earlier, Memphis is our number one projected offense. So they're certainly yeah. going to be dangerous. And and it's they all four of those teams are, are quite good. App State, so so the Sunbelt released its preseason uh, you know the, by the media, the the, the poll, um, and App State was of course expected to win the East. Uh, Louisiana was expected to win the West. and am surprisingly on both, but there were some odd, you know, first place votes scattered throughout. Troy got one in the East and South Alabama got one in the South West. South Alabama I- got one? I, tre- I uh, tweeted about this. That's uh,
1: probably the South Alabama right there. Yeah, exactly. But,
0: yeah. but uh, you know, so Troy, I could understand because Troy, I, I talked about talent edges and that's going to be, something that we talk about each week uh, from here on out, something I'm actually going to write about uh, each week as as well for our patrons. But Troy has 11 out of 12 talent edges. Uh, App State only has seven out of the 11 games they play. Now App State, of course, gets, you know, great. uh, They're favored in every game. They are on paper on the field so far proven to be the best team. But uh, I could see a scenario where Troy – wins the the East if App State, you know, underachieves with its third head coach in in three years. Maybe it's gonna be difficult to Mm -hmm. to keep the train going, even though it was an an internal uh promotion. But yeah, South Alabama uh is 125th. (laughs) And I've I've been uh watching every South Alabama game I can get my hands on, reading every South Alabama thing I can get my hands on and and I uh I'm I'm warming up, and we'll talk about South of Alabama at length next week. But <laughs> there's no way they win West. I, mean, I don't yeah. I don't make absolutes. There's no way South of Alabama
1: wins. Yeah, south. I mean you know uh, a a lot of COVID would have to be going around those other schools for uh, for me to pick of South of Alabama. So uh, I I just don't I I'm with you that and that's why some people d- disrespect what beat writers have to say. You know is because of crazy notions like that is, you know, uh, vote for, you're not, you're voting with your heart, not your head when you do oh something geez. like that. And, and a lot of, uh, you know, um, th- there's been some debate in the fantasy world about fantasy pros and their expert consensus rankings. And, uh, some guys just making wild rankings just in case they're right. It would push their name up next year too. So, uh, you know, not, not everyone's doing things for an altruistic purpose, I guess is what I'd have to say about some of those polls for sure. Fair enough. But uh, let's talk about uh, um, this one here. uh, College football playoff picks and your Heisman Trophy winner. So, um, uh, Nick, you've got yours listed on here, so let's go ahead and uh, start with you.
0: So, I am just sort of, I I use our numbers as my primary uh, decision-making instrument. I, I do believe in uh, the work that, that we've done with uh, our, our team profiles, our, our player Zombier's model. already
1: mad. Already mad at Because you wrote uh, it down, so he knows what's coming. <laughs> uh,
0: so Clemson, yes, is overwhelming, uh, overwhelming favorite at this point. We have them projected to win, out of their 11 games currently on the schedule, 10.4 almost. And, you know, that includes uh, a game, of course, against Notre Dame. Uh, so I, I think they will get in. Uh, I think Alabama, when the dust finally settles in the SEC, after everybody uh, knocks each other off, I think that we don't see an undefeated SEC team, but I think uh, Alabama can get through with one loss, and I, I think they will be the champion, so I think they'll come in. Maybe as the number two team. Uh, and then I, I wrote it down, and this is definitely – the next two are a little bit more out on the limb than I usually am. If we had a full complement of teams, this would not be my number three and my number four. I would certainly have Ohio State in. I, I might be tempted to put Penn State as a second Big Ten team, or, or uh, you know, I, I was pretty high on Oregon. So I, I could see, you know, make a case for them, or, or maybe even USC, because if we're talking about talent edges there, uh, they had quite a few. Uh, as well. But I'm could. i I'm, I'm starting to talk myself into the scenario where both Clemson and Notre Dame get through with one loss. And, and there might only be one undefeated team nationwide. And so I think Notre Dame in the ACC, especially if that one loss is in the regular season to Clemson, and they come back and beat Clemson in a close ACC championship game, I could see both of them getting into the playoff, which Xavier's head would explode if there were two teams from one conference and it were the ACC. Uh, but I, I'm talking myself into that scenario. I like Notre Dame, and, and I absolutely this could be a huge swing in this, but uh, but I think I think I'm going to put them in my uh, my uh, final four here in the playoff uh, projections, and then. Hey, this is the year, UCF, you know, two of the Power Five are not there. Uh, UCF, I think, is is overwhelmingly the, the best G5 team in the nation. They're going to have some tough tests, even the, so they're going to have a fairly easy schedule uh, because they don't play – or they do play one Power Five team. They play Georgia Tech, so they're going to blow Georgia Tech out, and then they're going to go through the – Wow. The, the, yeah, they're going to – uh and, and you know they have to play memphis they have to play cincinnati both both very tough but i think ucf survives those games i think they go undefeated they might be the only undefeated team in the country maybe clemson being the other and Notre Dame losing to clemson twice and not being a playoff team but i think ucf could could sneak in and and this year's gonna have you know a huge asterisk on it anyway so yeah well you're Bro, a silly goose.
1: Yeah, yeah. You, you, you're you're a silly goose, Nick. Uh, uh, Xavier, uh, this is very unlike me. Yeah, <laughs> Xavier. You're, how did you you're
0: manage to talk
2: yourself into you know what? Yeah, I, I'm gonna leave it. I'm gonna let you go with it. Um, I like Clemson. Uh, I think that's a consensus for I think all of us. Um, I like Georgia. I'm gonna go with the Homer pick. I'm sorry. Um, I'm gonna go Texas as one of the playoff teams. Yeah. And I think we're going to get another team from another conference, and unfortunately for Scott, it's going to be Oklahoma. Yes, I think, oh. that, yeah, not
1: I, unfortunate I, for me. I would love that. Are you kidding I, me?
2: I think we see the Red River rivalry maybe in the College Football Playoff. Oh my
1: God, how great would that be for the Big Twelve? That would be amazing. I think it's just as unlikely to happen as UCF making the playoff is, <laughs> but uh, I, maybe not as unlikely, but fairly close. Uh, the odds that Texas plays Oklahoma in, in the Natty, uh, but it's that two, would be. That that would be amazing. I would love that. Uh, for me, I'm not gonna go that far out on a limb. I'm gonna go. uh, I'm gonna take the the four teams at the top, and I'm gonna take out Oklahoma and put in Texas. I mean, it's Clemson, Alabama, Texas, and um, who am I forgetting? uh, Not LSU. Um, uh, Georgia. Yeah, Georgia. So. Uh, i'll put georgia in there uh you know texas and georgia can play in the playoff now instead of the sugar bowl doesn't uh, count for much anything better, much better game. I, I, I would love to see that so uh sam Elgar can get you guys twice uh but uh i, I would uh <laughs> then that that's going to be my heisman pick too to uh, uh, absolutely no one's surprised so real quick i do have to go in about two minutes here but <laughs> uh, who's your heisman pick uh, nick
0: so I, I could see Sam Ellinger getting it and I totally glossed over the big 12, but I just think it's so tight this year that the champion might have three losses, you know, at least yeah. two. so I, I, that's just sort of my, where my head's at. I could certainly see Ellinger uh, getting there, maybe, you know, to New York, but I think this year it's uh, Trevor Lawrence to lose, uh, especially without Justin Fields in the mix. So I think, I think Trevor Lawrence, I'm going to stay with the, the heavy favorite and, and Put him down
1: as my pick. Xavier,
2: I'm gonna go with Nick's Scenario. I think it's gonna be Dylan Gabriel. I think UCF. Uh-huh. Gets oh. it.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I think UCF, I think Dylan Gabriel gets the Heisman. So, so you're
1: really upset that UCF is in the playoff, but then you give Dylan Gabriel the Heisman.
2: I think he's just gonna put up ridiculous numbers, uh, and they're gonna end up on the outside looking in at five. But he still gets it because they're eleven and one. Yeah, it's I think
1: less gets- likely that a G five player will win the Heisman. Then a G five school will get into the playoff.
2: I so, think so. So when he does it at the end of the year,
1: sure, yeah. sure. I'll eat all the crow. I'll eat all hey, the crow. And, and, and if he when wins, the
0: Heisman, UCF's probably in the playoffs. So
1: yes, probably. No, <laughs> so, uh, I mean, look, if both those things happen, I'll sit here and eat a plate of crow. That's fine. But uh, none of that's going to happen. So I will worry about it. Zero percent. <laughs> so uh, it, it's fun. It's fun, but I mean, we might as well be put in South Alabama to win. Uh, you know, the, the fun belt. So. We've lost uh, all credibility. If,
0: anybody, <laughs> if anybody's still with us,
1: I apologize. Hey, look, you know, it's never four it's, SEC teams are going. It's never uh four SEC. Yeah, see, now, now we got the SEC crowd <laughs> yes. back on. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think we lost any credibility. There, there's. Uh, I did there's Nothing <laughs> against having fun. Uh, I can say that. So. Uh let's uh let's end it on that note. Remember, you can follow us at Bogman Sports for me, at CFP Winning Edge for Nick, at Xavier underscore Trish for uh Xavier T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter. And Nick, ended it out. Uh give us a plug for Patreon and all that good stuff.
0: The CFP Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Visit patreon.com slash CFP Winning Edge to support this show as a tier one patron. Our tier one patr or our tier two patrons. Uh, receive access to our FBS team profiles, our full statistical projections, uh, a full schedule of written content new this year, uh, all week, uh, every day during uh, each weekday, we'll, we'll have written content uh, that'll be themed for, uh, for the week. So uh, do check us out, patreon.com slash CFBWinningEdge. And uh, thank you so much to uh, all of our Patreon supporters uh, that we've got with us already.
1: We'll be doing uh, game matchups next week, so we will see you guys then. Take it easy, everybody.